Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. This evening, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, as we continue our series in the book of Colossians. I'm going to begin reading, however, at verse 1 to give us just some initial context. Colossians chapter 3. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would convict us of our sin, that you would give us hope in a Savior, and that you would bind us together as a community. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you already know the apocryphal story or some variation on it. How a man who sought to follow the Lord and to find a fellowship of the saints where his gifts could be exercised and where he could be encouraged, set out in search of the perfect church. 
who went to one church, was not so enthralled with the music. Went to another church, and the preaching was of its subpar. Still a third, and he found that in the halls they gossiped. And then a fourth, and there was no one willing to pick up the work to be done. And finally he came to a place where he looked around, and everything seemed satisfactory and satisfied. And he sat in the back pew, and he wept. Someone walked up out of compassion and said, Why are you crying? And he said, I've been on this search for years for the perfect church. And I think, I think I found it. And the person said, well, why are you weeping then? Tears of joy. He said, no, I just realized there's no way I could ever join because as soon as I do, it won't be perfect anymore. And you see, this is what we understand, that the church is not a perfect place, that we are sinners and that we carry our sin with us into the hallowed halls of the congregation. Paul understood this as well. And he had words of encouragement for each of us who struggle with our sin and yet still to live in community. And so this evening I would like us to consider three things from this passage. First, we will see a people who fight sin. Then we will see a people who display grace. And finally, we will see a people who are united in Christ. The people, God's people, the church, the Christian community. Well, let's begin then by looking at the Christian community as a people who fight sin. Paul has strong words here beginning in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This is very strong language from Paul. It is an imperative. It is a command. This is one of the very few occasions in which I can say that the tool that every seminary student uses to help him with his Greek and Hebrew, the New American Standard Bible, does not do a very good job translating. It translates this rather weak. It says, consider. No. Don't consider. Put to death. Kill. Slay. Take a hacksaw to. Sin. The command here is very forceful. There is no language. Actually, the word that is used for put to death is the word that is related to the word for corpse. Make a corpse out of sin, Paul says. Now, he can say this because he gives us great motivation in this action. We have our friend here in verse 5, therefore. And you know, whenever we see the therefore, we look back to see what the therefore is there for. And we recall that in verses 1 through 4, Paul has laid out the glories of being in Christ of being raised with Christ, of being hidden with Him, and of appearing with Him in glory. Because of this, Paul says, we must put to death that which is earthly. Paul often refers to this as the old man or the old self here, as we see in verse 9. The old man is just that. He is old. He is the past. He is what no longer describes the Christian. 
He is earthly. And the language that Paul uses is vivid. He talks about actually the members of your body. The members that are earthly. These are things that are contrary to the Lord and to His promise. You see, to love the Lord means to hate sin and love holiness. There is no other way around it. The psalmist writes in Psalm 97, verse 10, this wonderful verse, he says, Oh, you who love the Lord. What would you expect after that? Sing His praises. Be kind. No. Hate evil. You who love the Lord, hate evil. Follow after the Lord. Because He preserves the life of His saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. We are to put to death the old man of sin. And what this means is in good old-fashioned Puritan language, it means we must mortify our sin. One of my favorite quotes from any theologian is that which comes from John Owen on his wonderful work on the mortification of sin. And he writes this, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from your work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. You see, this is a work we must undertake, and we must undertake with zeal, because you see, sin always abides in this world. And the sin that we have still acts within us. It takes us to places that we know we should not go. It takes us to places contrary to the Lord and His will. And the sin that is within us, if it is not mortified, it will bring forth yet more and more serious sins. Paul then begins to name them here. And there is a logic to his list. Whenever you see Paul list a group of nouns or a group of verbs together, do not think that he is merely rattling things off without purpose. No, there is a progression here. He says we are to put to death sexual immorality first. That is, the actions that we take. That which is all too common in the world and all too common now in ours, isn't it? Sexual immorality is everywhere. It is celebrated as diversity, as love, as goodness. It is on glossy covered magazines. It is in newspapers. It is on television and it is in movies. Sin celebrated. And Paul says, let it not be named among you. Put it to death. But you see, he continues to probe. We can say with ourselves, well, we will put to death sexual immorality. We will not act out sin. And Paul says, it is not enough merely not to act out. You must put to death impurity as well. So not just actions, but thoughts. It is not enough to merely hide your actions. We need to understand that as the people of God. Far too often it passes as great Christianity merely to hide our sins and to be obsessed in our thoughts with greed, with lying, with blasphemy. But you see, Paul says it's not enough to reject actions. We must reject thoughts as well. And then he says you must also put to death 
passion and evil desire. And now he moves beyond not only actions, beyond not only the mind, he moves into our wills. And he tells us we must be in control of our wills, or rather, perhaps better to be put, we must have the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God, in control of our wills. We must be attempting in all things and at all times to live out the credo of our Lord. Not my will, O Lord, but thine be done. And then he moves to the deepest recesses of sin. He says covetousness. And he says it is idolatry. Covetousness is a very interesting sin. It is the only one of the Ten Commandments that can be broken only in a non-external fashion. You thought about that? You steal when you take something. You murder when you kill. Now, there is an internal aspect as well. What is the external aspect of coveting? It is completely within us. And it is the easiest to hide. It is making our will God. That's why it's idolatry. When we say we are preeminent, what we want must go. Paul says you must put this to death. And he gives us a motivation for doing this in verse 6. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now let me tell you, there is nothing wrong in proper perspective with a healthy dose of fear. You should be afraid of sinning. You should be afraid of judgment. Now we are freed from a slavish fear because... If we are in Jesus Christ, if we have placed our trust and faith in Him, then we know that judgment does not come upon us. But there is nothing wrong with a dose of fear to keep us from sin. We do this all the time in our parenting, don't we? What's the best way to keep a child away from a hot stove? After they've been burned, right? They fear. They understand in proper perspective the power and the danger And they act with respect around things. But you see, Paul also says in verse 7 that in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So it is not just a matter of fear of judgment that motivates the Christian. It is also a knowledge of who they are in Jesus Christ. He says, you once walked in this, but no longer. Now you can put it away. Now, as we put away sin, I want to encourage you. You all know that one of the themes, as it were, of our prayer life here at Christ Church is that we pray for particular things. You may not recall that that phrase comes actually from the Catechism, where it talks of repentance and repenting of particular things particularly. So you must put to death particular sins. Do not say, I'm going to put to death being mean. No, beloved. I will put to death abusing my brother or sister. I will put to death the harsh words that I say to my spouse. I will put to death the laziness that occurs with me after lunch. Find particular sins. Put them to death. And you see, when we do this, we realize that it is not just we 
who must put to death sins, and we who are the beneficiaries, it is a part of the entire Christian community. Because you see, putting away sin in our lives allows us to put away sinful barriers to community in the church. Paul says this in verse 8. He says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so Paul lists a group of sins, and there's something that they have in common. Do you see it? They are all speech sins, and they are the kind of speech that make relationships, real relationships, impossible. Anger, wrath. Who wants to come alongside someone who is angry and wrathful with them? No one. Malice. How can you have a relationship with someone that treats you with contempt or hatred or seeks to harm you? There can be none. Slander. You know the the old quip, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You also know it's a complete lie. And that slander does hurt, and it brings pain. And Paul says something else here that I think is very curious, especially in our day and age. He says you are to put away obscene talk. Now, I know that daily I become more and more my father as I age. But I will tell you that as I look about, I see more and more and more obscene talk in the church. I see it in young people on Facebook. I see it on Twitter. I hear it in halls. I hear about it in schoolrooms, in colleges, at dinner parties. I hear language that would never be used in polite company. Who even remembers the phrase, you don't say that in mixed company, in front of ladies? And now words that I can't even use from the pulpit are used in Christian circles. Like college professors, theologians. The world should see that we are different. And if we cannot control our mouths, how can we control our actions? We must put it aside from us so that we may show others the love of Christ. We must not set up any kind of a barrier to relationships amongst each other or with the lost. But we are a people who are not only ones who are to put off sin. We are a people who are to display grace. For you see, Paul always puts these in tandem. Putting off the old man. Putting on the new And he does so here in verse 10. He says, You have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. You put on the new man because you are changed in Jesus Christ. A change in position must mean a change in behavior. As we are transformed into the child of God, We must act like the child of God. Because that is what the change is for. It is to make us God's children. To make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, we are redeemed not just to spare us the pains of death and hell. We are redeemed that we might be like Jesus. And so as we are redeemed, we are to be like Jesus. We are being made anew as God intended in knowledge. And what this does is it brings us all together because as we are renewed in Jesus Christ, we are all leveled. We are all equal before the cross. We are all reaching for the same goal. There is no better or worse. There is no first or second class. You see, Paul writes this in verse 11. He says, For there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Everyone is in Christ, all in all. Paul makes his point here very forcefully. He starts by saying, well, you know, the Jew is the same, is equal as the educated Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised. And then he begins to test the boundaries a bit. He says, even barbarians are the same. But you see, then he goes a step further. You see, Scythians were the people that barbarians called barbarians. They were the worst of the worst. These are the people that make the the characters in the Capital One Viking ads look like fine, refined Englishmen. And yet Paul says they're welcome. Ah, they may not eat with a fork. They certainly don't know how to hold a teacup. But they're in Christ. They bring us together. And you see, as we put on this new character, as we put on the new man, we put on new binders, as it were. Things that bind us together. It is not enough to simply have a new character. We must live it out. Look at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You see, he lays down the basis for how you are to live. You are to live after the biblical dictate, because you have been chosen by the living God. You have been called to holiness. The triune God has set His love upon you. This is why we act the way we do. Not because we seek to get the merit or seek to get close to God. The order is critical. We do not act so that we might be loved. We are loved and then we act. And when we do this, we are drawn closer not only to the Lord, but to each other. And so we are then compassionate, compassionate hearts. This is that wonderful phrase from the old King James, bowels of mercy. For you see, The Greeks felt that the seat of the emotion was not the heart like we think. They thought it was your guts. That that's where the emotions came from, from your belly. And so somehow I think that's helpful because for some of us that means we have a lot of mercy and love. But you see, it comes up feelings of compassion and flows out of us and flows into the next, that is kindness. As we are compassionate to one another, we show kindness or goodness to one another. And then humility, which is nothing but a proper understanding of who we are. 
And you see, there is not exactly a progression here. All of these virtues come together. They bind us together in community. We are compassionate to one another, and that shows that we are kind, and people understand that we are humble, and then meekness is seen. Meekness is gentleness. It's being considerate. You all will have an opportunity to be meek this evening. Young people, as you're standing in line for a sandwich, you can say to an adult, why don't you go ahead of me? You could be considerate. You could be meek. You can treat others with respect in small ways, and that will then lead to large ways. Putting others' concerns above your own. And lastly, patience, which I think is best described here as a forbearing with wrongdoing. That's hard, isn't it? Forbearing with wrongdoing when you know someone has done you wrong. But isn't that exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ did? Both when people wronged Him and when people were wrong. Could you imagine what the Gospels would read like if every time it was warranted, our Lord Jesus Christ chastised the disciples? In your red-letter Bibles, it would be read from beginning to end. They couldn't get a sentence out and you'd have to correct them. But you see, he was patient. And we, following in his steps, being made into his image, are called to be patient as well. And we are to live this character amongst each other. And I love the way Paul puts this. This is, again, in a way of progression. He says in verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against you another, forgiving each other. And I think the bearing one another here we should take almost at face value. Paul is saying at a bare minimum, you have to start and you have to put up with one another. Start there. Is there someone in your life who drives you crazy? Someone in your life who doesn't get you? Then if they're in Christ, you need to bear with them. You need to put up with them. You need to be around them. You need to show these characteristics of kindness and goodness. Because you see, where that takes us then is to the next step. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And you see, what happens is, as we begin to bear with each other more and more, the Lord works in our hearts by His grace. And He teaches us and enables us to then begin to forgive to let things go, to see joy in others around us. And the, the interesting thing here is the word that Paul uses for forgiving one another has at its root the word for grace. So we realize that those that we forgive don't deserve it. They haven't apologized properly. They haven't made amends. Now how can I do that? Don't they need to repent and come properly? Don't they need to follow all of the rules? Well, Paul has an answer, he says, even as the Lord has forgiven you. So as you look in your heart, have you done proper repentance? Complete and true? Are you worthy of forgiveness? I don't think so. And yet the Lord has forgiven us. So we should 
in turn forgive others. The third and final thing we see in this passage is that as a people who have put off sin and who have put on the virtue and the character of God, we see a people who are united in Christ. They are a people who are bound by love, a people who are ruled by peace, and a people who are filled with the Word. Look first here at verse 14. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, love is the chief of all virtues. It is the chief characteristic of the Christian. It fastens together all of the community into unity. It binds everything together in what Paul calls a perfect harmony. That is, a wholeness, a sense of maturity. The Christian who is mature is the Christian who loves much. He binds the people of God together in unity. One who loves seeks the good of another. And isn't that what community is all about? A good friend put it to me, and I think it is very true. He said, love by definition is self-sacrifice. And if you doubt that, I assign you some homework. To go and watch a new mother with a babe. By definition, it is self-sacrifice. We are not only bound by love in the community, we are ruled by peace. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. I think we are tempted to read this passage and to read into it a sense of inner peace that we get. We're thinking about a decision and we're waiting for God to give us a sense of peace. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying waiting for a feeling so that your stomach is not in knots. What he is saying here is the peace of Jesus Christ must rule in your heart in order to rule in the midst of God's people. As Jesus leads us, that leads us to a place of peace, not just individually, but as a community. And it brings about thanksgiving. Thirdly and finally, we are united to Jesus Christ when we are filled with the Word of God. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything. Do you think Paul's covered just about everything? Do everything how? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, we have the word of Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts. And that exalts Jesus. To be... A community of God means to be centered on Jesus Christ. And that everything that we do gives glory to Christ. Everything that we say gives glory to Christ. Everything that we are about is about Jesus Christ. Do you desire to be that kind of community? An earth-shaking, kingdom-toppling, God-exalting community then you must put off sin. You must put on the new man. And you must come together around 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.